So uh, I want to introduce myself. If you're new, my name is Chris Pate. I'm the lead pastor here. So excited about having our second service with you. Thanks for coming as we're continuing in our series 100 years from now. How many of you guys have been able to go to one of our groups, get the book, kind of get involved with what we're doing? Okay, awesome. Thank you for the juice. Uh, we're excited to have you. We're doing what we do in the fall. A lot of times we call our city life groups. And so we have a message, we have a sermon, but then we have our groups throughout the week. We're going through a book study um, through this book called 100 Years From Now, where we're looking at the trajectory of our lives. What we do today matters, and that God wants to use us to build ultimately a legacy for His glory, for His kingdom, and that's what we want to do. We've been talking about last week, who we are in our mission statement. If you don't know our mission statements on the wall, we do our best to live it outside, and it is this, that City Life Church exists in order to honor God and establish all discipleship, which the way we determine discipleship, the way we define discipleship is Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible people or churches and campus ministries in every nation. Last week, we talked about what we mean when we say Christ-centered. And so we say Jesus isn't the top priority on the list, and then I move on to other things. Jesus is the list. He is the center, and Jesus actually instructs how I then have my friends and what I do with my church and my family. Jesus is everything. And we talked about last week that you have, you have a center. You have some type of center in your life that instructs all that you do, and you were created for Jesus to be at the center. Now, for us to be a disciple, we are Christ-centered. We're thinking about him. We want to be like him. We want to do the things that he did. That's awesome, and that's great. But also, we say we want to be spirit-empowered. What does it mean to be spirit-empowered? We're going to talk about that today by opening our Bibles right now or checking out the screen. Acts chapter 1. Jesus, according to the chronological order, excuse me, has been dead, has been buried, has been risen from the dead, and he's appeared to his disciples and 500 other people. And we catch up, this guy named Luke wrote the book of Luke, or the letter of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and continues writing in the book of Acts. And he says this, in this first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering, but many, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So he says, my first letter was about this. And then he continues, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, Jesus says, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time Restore the kingdom to Israel. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, open up our minds, our understanding, our spirits to receive all that you want to speak to us, all you are doing now and in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. What a great group of passages. We read Acts 1. If you continue to read, you continue to see the reason why it's called Acts is the Acts of the disciples and all of the people that were following Jesus, seeing that it was more than just talk mere communication or just preaching alone, but a demonstration. God was demonstrating his power and who he was continually. What can we learn from Acts chapter 1? First of all, what we just read, I think a very powerful thing we can learn is that Jesus' work and teaching did not conclude at the cross. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know your background I grew up in a Baptist church, and I appreciate my Baptist heritage, but I'm not limited by it. It's not my identity alone. But in this Baptist church, we would go every once in a while. And we, when we'd go, I was used to kind of the traditional thing that we would do. And not all Baptist churches are the same, especially if you have different ethnicities, very different Baptist churches. But we, there, there was a symbol that we had or, or kind of a tradition that we continued to have. And we would show up and there would be a little bit of worship and we would stand and we would have a hymnal and we would read the hymnal, right? And then we would sit for a little bit and then there would be a message and then they would play just as I am, like 15 stanzas until everyone finally did something with it. And we're like, okay, we got to go. Um, so finally everyone's at the altar doing their thing or whatever. And then sometimes we we would sing another song, and then we would go home. And it was pretty much the same routine all the time. So I was somewhat conditioned to it, somewhat used to it. And that was a little bit of my background with church. Now, my biological father, I remember him telling me certain things about church and teaching me certain things about God because I have some charismatic family friends growing up and people that were in my family that were um, more charismatic, more spirit-filled, if you would. And I had no idea what that was when I was a little kid, of course, but I was told, stay away from that. That stuff is crazy. I was even told, I still remember being in the car and my dad talking about those family members and telling me, that's just demonic. So I grew up believing and was being told that the spirit part, some of those things, those people that are like crazy and like lift their hands and speak in tongues and all those kind of things, they're nuts. And in fact, that's demonic. That's what I grew up in. So I just went to church and everything. Well, my parents ended up divorcing when I was 12 and my mom remarried and she remarried this dude who believed these things. 
And he started taking us to this non-denominational church. And I remember the first time going to this church, if you're familiar, uh, West Texas at all, this was in Lubbock, Texas, a church called Trinity Church. And I remember going to Trinity Church, and there's thousands of people there. And it was the first time I walked into a church, and they had, like, projectors on the screen. But at that point, they had, like, the projection things where you had, like, the slides. And sometimes they would put them in wrong or backwards. And I'm sitting here going, speaking in tongues, because I can't reckon. What is that? I don't know what those words say. Uh-oh, and I'm freaked out. Because I'm seeing the lady on the front row like getting after it and going crazy. And I'm used to, wait, where are the hymnals? What is happening? I'm used to like, you know, Hitch just says, keep it right here. You know what I'm saying? Remember? Remember Hitch? He just says, don't do none of that. You know, just stay right here. I'm used to not even that. I'm used to like this and having something in my hands. And now I don't know what to do with my hands And I'm seeing people do all sorts of things. And in my mind, because what was built in my head was, this is crazy. So I remember something about just feeling, I don't know, but maybe maybe it's not that bad because I kind of trust my stepdad, but this is not for me. I remember then I would go and stay with my dad because my parents were divorced. And we'd go back to the Baptist church and I'd be like, okay, bored, but okay. At least I'm not weirded out by those crazy people. And maybe, man, that could be the devil. You know, because the devil's so powerful and he can influence us so easily. I remember growing up and never being taught in those contexts. Not that they don't do it or, or just where I was specifically. Never being taught anything about the Holy Spirit. I mean, we hardly opened up the book of Acts. I was taught about the cross. I was taught about the resurrection and the gospel in that sense, which was great. But as we said earlier, what we see right away is Jesus, the conclusion of the cross, the resurrection. He's about to ascend. And and his disciples come to him and they say, hey, uh, so are you now going to restore? Like, are you going to change our nation and bring it back to like what it was when David was king or when Solomon was king and we were flourishing and everything was great and we had all these things and countries were coming to us because we were the nation, the people of God. Is, are you going to restore us back now? And they had this nationalistic mindset that that's what Jesus was going to do. And don't you love Jesus' response? He says, listen, it's not for you to know the season or the hour. You know those people that always come up with the books that are going to tell you when Jesus comes back. And then when they're wrong, they're like, oh, uh, uh, what had happened was I misinterpreted the date. And so always making money on that. And Jesus says, you don't need to worry about that. And he says, I'm not done. We're not in conclusion. I'm not taken about and seen. Jesus has now conquered everything, taken over the nation. Here we go. He says, it's not for you to know the time or hour, the season that God who has authority is going to do that. And he says, but you wait Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I think this leads us to the second thing we see that we learn in this, and that's that we want 
information and he wants to give us authorization. There's a big difference here because we love, like, I want to know how everything's going to paint, like, turn out for me. Like, I want a prophetic word so I know how to control and where I'm going to go. And is God going to bless me and give me this now? Is he going to not just bless our nation? When is Jesus going to come and just change America? And when is Jesus going to come and change the world? Because you know the world's just crazy. And when is Jesus going to come change those Republicans? Change those Democrats. Change those liberals. When is Jesus going to come and change? And he says, see, you want information. And I want to give you authorization. Big difference. If you're driving down the highway and the highway is out and you and you happen to get the end and you realize, oh my gosh, it's out. I know other people are behind me. I got to let them know. And you drive, you get your car and you're flagging. They might go, who's that crazy person? Continue to drive off the highway, but here's the deal. If you have a badge and you turn around and you go down and you hold that up, they will stop. What's the difference? You both have information that the road's out, but one of you has authorization, has empowerment behind you. Not just the individual, you yourself can't stop a Mack truck from coming, but the power of that authorization, because it represents other other things, other power behind you that is now helping you with the insane information, but now with authority, with power. And he says, you don't need to know when I'm going to change your nation or how I'm going to do it. Leave the details up to me, but here's the thing you need. You need power. You were made and you were, you were created to hold and be a container for the Spirit of God. You were made to run on God, not carbs or meat, ketosis. You were made to run on the Spirit of God. And as long as we keep just trying in our own ability, and what I need is just more information. I need to understand more. I got to get more things down. We will never fully be able to be empowered with the Spirit to do the things that Jesus wants us to do. The other thing you see in Acts 1 is that there is a correlation between waiting and receiving, between abiding with God and receiving and having fruit with God. Jesus says, listen, I need you to wait. We love to talk about the, the Great Commission, which the Great Commission is Matthew 28, go and make disciples. But before there was a go, for them, there was a wait. And, and listen, these disciples had been with Jesus for three years. Can you imagine being mentored by Jesus? Some of us would love to just have a mentor, like much less the most brilliant, miracle-working people following him, popular person to say, hey, follow me. For three years, they're going to live with him, know what he knows, actually do some of the things with him that he does. And with all of that training, when he dies and right before he leaves, he didn't say, you are ready now. Three years, you've been with me. You've got a degree. You've got a master's in what it means to be a Christian, he still says it's not enough to have the information alone and the experience alone. You need the power of God. You need to wait. 
You, you in yourself, see, what's, what would happen is you already still think I'm going to come and I'm just going to change a nation in a whim and I'm just going to do this one thing. But here, you see, you don't understand. I'm not doing things that way. And if you don't wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to go out and try to do the things that I have been doing, but you're going to do it with the wrong motive and you're going to do it wrong. You're going to create like Abraham when he couldn't have a kid decided, oh, there's my servant. Maybe she can have it. You're going to create an Ishmael. You're going to go ahead of God and create more problems than good. You better wait because you need the spirit of God to fill you and to lead you. I love the concept and the idea of filling with the spirit because as we, as, as you know, we've said it plenty of times, it's not filling like a cup. It's actually filling like a sail. Like the wind fills a sail because it leads you in a direction. And until God fills you, you should be that sail that just is stuck and doesn't go anywhere because I'm not doing anything without the Spirit of God leading me. But I raise my sail and I do what I need to do to receive the wind. All I can do is receive. See, we are constantly in a place with God of either receiving the Holy Spirit or resisting the Holy Spirit constantly. Right now, you're either going to go yes or you're going to go, yeah. As I'm growing up and I'm going to these kind of more non-denominational charismatic churches, believe in the gifts, and yet have this resistance to those things because of what I was taught. I remember starting to go, maybe, maybe I can receive. Like, like you, ever, you ever seen the movie Hook with Robin Williams? And they push his face back and they say, they're be beginning to believe. Like something happened to me. I was starting to, okay, maybe, and I'm seeing how my stepdad is living and, and, and I'm seeing that they're, they're doing good things. Maybe these people aren't all crazy. And I decided, which was like a novel, let me actually read the Bible. What does the Bible say? That's a good idea. Not what does this person say? You're not, what does the Bible say? So I started reading the Bible and noticed God's very supernatural. He does a lot of miraculous things. And then I started reading things in the gospel where Jesus is saying, greater things will you do. And I go to the Father so that the Holy Spirit can live with you and it'll be better for you. And then I read this like, wait. Don't use the knowledge and the experience that you've gotten from me the past three years alone. You need the Holy Spirit, just like I need the Holy Spirit. And I remember still having this resistance in my heart because of what was planted in me, even at a young age, that this is the devil. And I started having these conversations. I'm, I'm reading the Bible, and I'm talking to my biological father. And I remember having this conversation with him, talking about what I'm seeing, and like, God's moving him, like, but I'm reading it in the Bible. And his words to me, I still remember, I was about 17 years old, and his words to me was, you need to be careful, because if the devil can be in it at all, you don't want to be a part of it. And he cited an experience that he had where somebody like stood up and said something in church and spoke in tongues and somebody like interpreted and said, no, that was, he was cursing God. And so he was like, the devil can be in it. You got to be careful. And so now I'm back into resistance and going, oh, I don't know. Cause it's, the devil can be in it. And I thought, wait, that's a horrible rule for life because if the devil can be in, can he be in all sorts of things? So I better not do anything, Right. Instead of fear, I started going, wait, this doesn't make sense. Didn't Jesus come 
the book of Acts, like to destroy the works of the devil? And I started reading scripture again. What does the Bible say? And I read this passage where Jesus looks out to the people while he's teaching. And he says this, if your kid asks for an egg, would you give them a rock? If your kid asks for a piece of bread, would you give them a snake? And he says this. I'm reading it, and I'm going, okay, I'm I'm down with Jesus. This Holy Spirit, I don't know. He's like the weird uncle. You don't know what's going to happen when he shows up on Thanksgiving. (laughs) And I'm reading it, and I'm going, okay. And he continues. He says, if you being evil, mm -hmm, thanks, Jesus. Um, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, and you want to give them good gifts, you're not going to say, oh, Daddy, can I have bread? Here's a snake. And you're evil, by the way, Jesus says. Okay, thank you. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And I read that and something went off in me. Wait, 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 okay. I know, I know enough of the Bible to know that a snake is a representation of Satan, of the devil. So is Jesus saying, If I ask for the Holy Spirit, and I genuinely love Jesus, like, I I understand the Holy Spirit's job is to lead me to Jesus. I'm not trying to just get the feels. Like, I literally say, God, I need to be empowered by you, by your Holy Spirit. I can't do it alone. If I ask for the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, I don't have to be afraid he's going to give me a demon. I don't have to be afraid he's going to give me some other spirit because he's good. He's better than I am. And if I wouldn't do that to my kids, what am I afraid of? I started through the Bible. Wow. Novel. Going, maybe, maybe I need something more. See, because before that, I I was giving my life to Christ and like trying to do the Christian thing. But I was really timid. I didn't want to actually go and like witness to people and share Jesus. I just kind of needed him for me. The Bible would call that a well springing up to everlasting life. And a well, it was good for me. I need water. But then Jesus would say, I want to give you the Holy Spirit so you can be a river for others. I want to empower you. And the key word here is empower you not to be weird, but to be a witness. I want to give you power to be able to work and live in the kingdom of God, not to be crazy, but to be a witness. So I started opening my heart to the Lord. And it it wasn't that simple for me because I was like so scared, especially of looking weird, like that lady over there that I saw or like that person, or I don't know about that tongue stuff because that I don't understand it. Of course, the Bible actually says you won't understand it. So, oh, thank you, God. But I started going, okay, maybe I'll open up a little bit, but it took me a long time. And I remember I was working at Blockbuster Video, my first job. Got free rentals. It was amazing. Charged a lot of people for a lot of lay fees. (laughs) 
That was not a fun job in that sense. Hey, you got $60 in late fees. Oh, God. Uh, and I'm working at Blockbuster Video, and I say that because I remember it was a Wednesday night, and at that time, our youth group was about 50, 60 people, and, and about 20 of them showed up for a Wednesday night, kind of like this more deeper level teaching. And, and, and I'm a junior in high school, and I'm having to work. It's a midnight shift. I remember getting a call, and my stepdad was on the phone. He was my youth pastor. And he said, man, God really showed up tonight. I wish you were there. And I was like, what happened? He said, man, just there was such a hunger and kids just, I mean, I just offered the Holy Spirit and we asked the Holy Spirit to come and he came. And kids just started crying and repenting and prophesying, like all this stuff that happened. And I remember hanging up the phone going, well, dang it, I'm having to work. And that's the story of my life because I always had this work religious do, 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 do. And so I remember going home mad and upset, and, but man, God was moving the next Wednesday night, like more kids started coming. And I'm telling you, within four weeks, we went from 60 to 200 youth kids in California, Apple Valley, California. God was moving, right? God is like doing things and kids are coming into the altar and crying. And I mean, it was, it was powerful. It wasn't like, come and we're going to play a game and sing a song. It was like, I want to come and God shows up in the room. I mean, it was powerful. And I remember I drummed for the worship team and I had invited these two girls that weren't very nice and good girls in my high school. Cause I'm like, you need to come to this. And they show up and at the end they come to the altar and they're bawling and they're like speaking in tongues and God's moving in their life. And I feel nothing. I got nothing. And I remember I got in my 1989 Ford Ranger XLT all beat up and drove home mad at God because how in the world could you do that to them? They're crazy. I'm drumming for the worst. I'm the youth pastor's son. Don't I deserve it? I don't get anything. You ever felt like that before? God's moving. It's like a hot pocket in the microwave. Pieces are hot, but the middle's always cold. And you're like, why does that, why does God move over there? And come here, like right here. I'm here. And it's, it's interesting how God moves. Some people will leave today at church. That was powerful. And other people go, eh. Why? For me? I was still had such a works mentality, working through all this. Can God, does he want to use me? And I don't know. And I'm just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. But I had an ulterior motive for sure. For me, it ended up I wanted to be a spectacle and have it. But I didn't want to be too crazy. Like I didn't really want to give everything to God because I didn't want to look like that person or that person. I'm not really sure about all the good because I don't want to give all the control to God. But just enough to make me super spiritual. And God had to work on my heart. And it took months for God to work on my heart. And it's not something that I had to do more. It's a posture I had to get of reception, which let me tell you is not easy. You know this. You ever try to give somebody a compliment? And they're like, nah. Or anytime you try to compliment them, man, those are those really nice shoes. They always feel like I have to now compliment you. Here, here's the way you receive a compliment. Are you ready? It's really easy. Thank you. See, we struggle receiving. 
I think in America so much too, because we're used to pulling ourselves up from our bootstraps and I'm going to make it work and it's going to be me and I'm going to do it. Especially if you're highly intellectual and you're just used to school and I've got everything paved out. I know what it's going to take to get my doctorate. I know what I'm going to do and I've got it done and I'm feeding my intellect and I'm going to do it because that's the kind of person I am. And that's not all bad, but let me tell you, it's really hard to receive a gift by grace because you're used to earning. And let me tell you, grace is not opposed to receiving something, just to actually trying to earn it. And I had to get to a place where I stopped resisting and just received. I remember people had laid hands on me. I'm not feeling anything. I don't have anything. I'm just like, well, maybe I'm done. And God starts working on my heart and says, I need you to learn how to receive. And there's even a posture of reception that happens when we lift our hands, that we allow God, when we bow our knees and we say, God, and there is a breaking down of us, not something we earn or have to do, but literally a humility that comes to where you get to the end of yourself and you realize I can't do it. I need you. And I think that's when God's finally going, finally, you can receive. For me, I was driving in my car. I'd had laid, my hands laid on me. I was wanting all the Holy Spirit had for me. I'm struggling. I'm in my car and I'm driving and I hear the Lord speak to me and say, start praising me, start thanking me. And so, you know, I'm kind of singing, you know, you know, like you see people in their car, like jamming, you know, I'm like that. But see, I was so insecure. I was even afraid of what people in other cars would think of me on the highway going 60 miles an hour. And I remember having this conversation with God and, and God sounds a lot like yourself, by the way, this is faith a lot of times, but not like you. The enemy sounds a lot like you too. You know, like when you mess up and you say, you're so stupid. Why do you refer to yourself as a you? Because maybe it's not you saying that. I remember on the road, I'm driving. The Lord says, okay, start praising me. I'm like, okay, you're awesome. You're awesome. And I remember telling the Lord, like, I don't want to look weird. And I'm by myself in my car. How insecure do you have to be? How afraid of what people think about you do you have to be? And God starts breaking that down and says, you're insecure. So you're right. What am I doing, God? I just start praising. Next thing I know, I start speaking in tongues. I pull over and I'm bawling. I'm going, I don't know what's happening. But I just received something that I needed. And from that point, it wasn't really that hard to want to share Jesus. Because Jesus shared something with me. He filled me with the spirit and it's not enough just, I had that experience once. The Bible says ever continually be filled. You know what? Today you need to be filled and tomorrow you need to be filled and the next day you need to be filled and you need to wake up and say, God, fill me with your spirit because it's a sign of humility and reception ultimately to say, I can't live this life without you. And you were never meant to. I can't save myself and you were never meant to. But when is God going to save? I want to save you. But God, when are you going to restore and change my family? I want to fill you. Don't worry about the information, but you, he says, will receive power. 
And when he changes you, you change, you help change your environment and tell the other person they can be filled too. And God fills them. And instead of changing just circumstances, he starts to change people by giving himself and placing himself in. This isn't going in like some religions say, let's just go deep and find your chi and get to your real you. God is outside, he is not inside, but he wants to come on you to live inside. And being spirit empowered has three relationships. One, our relationship to God. We have this relationship to God that is up. It takes our worship, our spiritual growth to another level. It's like, again, the wind behind our sail just encouraging us. I remember before I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, man, I, I, reading the word, it was kind of hard. Then I just started devouring the word. I started wanting to devour books. I was never a book guy. God just started putting a hunger as I sought him But it's not just for your relationship with God alone. It's also in your relationship with others. It's not just up, it's in. It's loving one another. It's serving, it's accountability. It's propelling you and filling you because you alone cannot love because love is an action, it's a verb, it's something you do, not something you feel. And if you wait till you feel, you'll never do because we're selfish at our heart and we need the Holy Spirit to change us and to fill us to say, I'm going to go serve this person. I don't feel like it. I want to not do it, but I'm compelled by the spirit. And he gives me power and authorization to go out and do what I can't do on my own. And it's not because I'm special because I have a title of a pastor, but it's because the spirit fills me and he can do that to you as well. It's also a relation that's out, not just up, not just in but it's out, it's loving unbelievers and sharing the gospel, it's serving the poor needy, serving community. It, it goes out, it compels you to do what you wouldn't do before. And that's what the spirit of God is trying to do within us. If he can change one person, fill one person at a time, over time, the city has changed, over time, the nation has changed, over time, the world has changed. But he doesn't want to just give you information. He doesn't just want to say a magic word. He wants to give you himself. So how do we get this Holy Spirit? We have to just be able to receive. A, year, a couple years ago, we were doing a Holy Spirit class. And in that class, we had someone we were laying hands on praying for and just not, they're just like, ah, and we're just, we're just praying, God, just move. And, and they're just struggling. And, and I, got, I got this word. And, and in this word, a lot of times when I'm praying for people to lay hands, I'll get like a picture. Sometimes it feels like a movie. And God uses your imagination, especially when it's renewed to him. And I saw, I saw a, a, a water hose from her heart to her head, and then it kinked, you know, like when you could kink that water hose, and it was kinked, and I, I was like, okay, well, this is weird. And and just like you might be like, well, I don't want to say anything, that's stupid. And you battle, and you go back and forth, and, and finally, I was like, okay, this is what I see. I feel like God is trying to do something, but it's kinked, and it was literally kinked at her mind. Like, you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to do it. You're trying to overthink it, and God just wants you to let go 
And she's like, okay, thank you. And I remember she goes home and I get an email from her later that day. And she said, oh my gosh, I went home. I thought about that and I realized I am, I'm overthinking everything and I just need to be able to receive. And so I just got on my knees in my room, started praying and praising God. And next thing I know, God comes literally just like the weight, the presence of the Lord in my room. And I start praying in unknown time. I didn't understand. I start praying in the spirit and her email was like, thank you so much for telling me that and giving me that courage just to step out. She said, I can't believe God would speak to me. I can't believe God would honor me with his presence that way. And since then, God has continued to use her in amazing ways. Sometimes it's that kink, needing more information instead of just the reception of what God wants to do. Do you believe this morning that God wants to use you? Do you really believe that? Or immediately you go, well, you can't use me because of A, B, C, and D. See, being Christ-centered, saying A, B, C, and D are dead on the cross. I'm alive in Christ. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to receive the grace of God for him to move in your life. Why don't you stand to your feet? And we're going to end today worshiping the Lord and doing what he deserves and saying the atmosphere is changing because the spirit of the Lord is here. Again, just like some might feel, some might not, but I think at the end of the day, it's not because you're good and you're worthy and you're right and you're more holy than someone else. It's because you're open to receive the gift and the grace of God. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your spirit. And I ask, Lord, for you to open our hearts to all you want to do in this place. Lord, it's your church. It's your will. It's your way. You're the shepherd. And as we give you praise and thanksgiving, we ask you to move. As the worship team comes, I just want you to keep your eyes closed. And if you're willing, just posture yourself in a place of reception. We serve a supernatural God. He's not gonna give you a snake. He's not gonna give you some weird thing. He's not even gonna take so much control of your life and just make you weird. He wants to empower you with himself and empower you and influence you to do his will and his desires, which is the greatest desire of our hearts. As you posture yourself whether you lift your hands high, whether you just sit them out like to a giving posture, I just want you to say, fill me, Spirit. Say, fill me, Holy Spirit. We need your presence. Move in this place, God. Change me from just receiving information to receiving you. Jesus' name. Let's worship.